Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Rick Olderman is a sports and orthopedic physical therapist with more than 25 years of experience. He specializes in helping people with chronic pain and helps his clients transition into a pain-free life. Rick has written the popular Fixing You series of books, which are found on Amazon.com, to help people with chronic pain or injuries. More recently, Rick has created downloadable video home programs to help people solve pain from head to toe. These programs include his pioneering approach to healing pain that has helped solve hundreds of cases of chronic pain at his clinic for the last 10 years. Rick has a new book, Solving the Pain Puzzle, coming out in 2023. He has generously posted a few chapters from that book on his website, where people can also pre-order the book and find his home programs, as well as his other complimentary content. Rick is one of the top professionals in the United States when it comes to understanding recurring injuries and chronic musculoskeletal pain. He wants to enhance quality of life by helping people fix their pain once and for all. You can find Rick and his resources on his website at www.rickolderman.com. Rick Olderman, what an absolute honored is to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. Oh, I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I stumbled through your introduction quite a bit, but the part I really like is that you say that you don't want to fix everybody's pain. You want to help other people fix their own pain. Can you explain the difference between those two things? Yeah, well, you know, uh, we weren't born uh, needing me to solve your pain, right? And uh, we have all the elements in our bodies to heal pain. So if you think about, uh, if you cut your finger, it heals. If you break a bone, it mends. And so we have these internal structures in our bodies that will heal us. And, and, and so usually if there's chronic pain or some chronic injury, there's some obstacle to those processes working correctly. And in the terms of chronic pain, what usually those obstacles are, are your understanding of how you're using your body which is causing tighter, weak muscles, strains to joints, all sorts of things. It could be dietary. It could be emotional, psychological issues that are also contributing to this. But there's, there are some obstacles that are getting in the way of this healing process. And so uh, that's what I've spent my career understanding and helping people discover. And so by me showing you uh, what those obstacles are, once you fix those obstacles, because I mean, in some cases, I can fix them for you, but ultimately, you're responsible for your pain in your body. So you need to learn how to fix them and keep them fixed. And so that's my role uh, in solving chronic pain. Yeah, I love that. Tell us how that related, I guess, how that changed or evolved in the course of your career versus what you were, were like classically trained on. What was your training like when you first got into the field and what things have you, I guess, like changed your mind about or evolved your thinking on? Oh gosh, so many things. <laughs> so I thought you uh, might say that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, in PT school, you know, really what I break this down into is we're trained in, in something called what I call component thinking. So what we're trained to do is look at a shoulder joint and say, these are the sources, to, the, these are the tissues that are damaged. This is how we treat it. Here's your neck. These are the tissues that are damaged. This is how we treat it. Here's your back. Same thing for hips, knees, whatever area of your body. So we look at the body as components. And for acute issues, uh, that works really well because you want to learn, you want to recover from that strain and you want to get it stronger. So you do your little rehab stuff and, and, you know, that will solve that acute episode. However, with chronic issues, this component thinking doesn't serve us very well because a chronic issue usually means that there is a, a larger systemic issue 
feeding that vulnerable area of your body. And so you have to solve the, the systems uh, issue going on, not just the component issue going on. And so PT school is geared towards component thinking. And then after I graduated from PT school, I was a miserable failure with anyone who had any kind of chronic issues. My component thinking wasn't working for them. And so that's what led me to search and discover this approach that I use now, which is a systems approach to solving pain. Yeah, I absolutely love that. So my wife, Bethany, she works on people with pain in their myofascial tissue. And we've got all mm -hmm. the, the posters of the anatomy trains downstairs where she does her work. Sure. So we can point out that, yes, your tongue is connected to your toes and how these lines cross in your body. And the first time she'll see somebody is if they come in with shoulder pain, she knows that the shoulder is not the source of the pain, but she might do one or two techniques in the person's shoulder, almost as a placebo, because sometimes people get frustrated. Like, well, I came to see you for shoulder pain. Why are you looking at my opposite side you know upper thigh and hip like what does that have to do with anything it's very interesting and i love that you take that kind of systematic approach how far into your career would you say you started to learn more about that and shift over well it was uh, i i was at a crossroads because once i realized i could not solve most of the people's pain that was that were coming to me if they you know because they were chronic in nature that sunk me into a deep depression and so i was forced to really you know, contemplate, maybe I'm just not meant to be a PT, you know, maybe I'm just not good enough. Maybe this just isn't for me, but that, and I wrestled with that for a few years and it wasn't until I, I, I was in a very small town at that point and virtually the only PT around. And when I moved here to Denver and I went to work for a, a, a prestigious health club here, my, my, uh, schedule was instantly filled, uh, because I was the only physical therapist on staff and with people with chronic nagging issues. And it made me realize, oh, it's not just me. These people had been to surgeons, you know, PTs, chiropractors, massage, you name it. They were well-to-do people who could see and afford anything and still had chronic pain. So it made me realize that, oh, it's our whole medical system is not doing well with chronic pain. Why would that be? And really it's how we're trained to look at and think about chronic pain more as this component issue rather than a systems approach. So that's when I started just, I, I, I had to step back and kind of uh, forget all of my treatment uh, techniques that I had learned in PT school because they weren't applying to people with chronic pain. And that's when I just started observing people and noticing things. And that led me to courses and so forth, including anatomy trains. Um, which we can certainly talk about if you want, uh, that helped me put all of this stuff together. Interesting. Yeah. No, I think yeah. you hear that story so often in the medical system, like people with a genuine desire to really help people and they get into that system to help people and it just, it fails. It just doesn't work. It's so frustrating right. for the professional. It's, it must be so yeah. tough. I'm wondering now, this is a very general question, so this might be impossible to really answer. I know everybody's so individual, but what, what kind of makes you cringe the most when somebody says they have pain and they went to a doctor or a surgeon or, you know, they got cortisone shots. What, what makes you go, ah, that that's probably not the best thing to do. You know, I, I don't mind if, if people, I mean, surgeons and doctors and cortisone shots are needed because sometimes it really is a structural issue going on. And, you know, that cortisone shot could tell us exactly where the problem is. Right. And that helps us isolate where that problem is. 
assuming all other systems approaches haven't haven't worked. But usually those things are happening before people try a systems approach. So they've tried this component approach to treat just the tissues in that general area. Oh, that hasn't worked. So let's go ahead and you know, shoot something with cortisone. Well, of course, cortisone is going to help because, you know, it's reducing inflammation and swelling in, in the, in the area. And so, but unfortunately it's usually a temporary. So sometimes surgery is exactly the solution or that cortisone shot, but the people that I see are the people where that has not been their solution yeah. or they're afraid of pursuing that pers- solution and they want to try something different. And, or, you know, I find a lot of the, a lot, most people believe this is the interesting thing is that most people, if you talk to a lay person, they understand, well, yeah, that makes complete sense that my legs might be hurting my back or something in my foot is connected to my head and neck or shoulder. And that's why that's contributing. But in medicine, we're not trained like this. And I think the general public is, thinks that we are, but we're really not. We're trained in this component thinking. Because really, this, the gold standard for, for medicine is, is there research to support what you're doing? Well, research by its nature, very nature, is that you isolate a component of something and study that. But there's nothing in research that's putting those components back into the bigger picture of things. That's left up to the practitioner. Well, unfortunately, we practitioners have belief systems. And if I'm a if I'm a manual therapist, I believe I should solve your pain by manipulating something or massaging something. And, you know, if, if I'm a chiropractor, it's, it's aligning the, the spinal column, if, you know, whatever. So we, and by virtue of those belief systems, we're automatically filtering out information that could be helpful to our patients. And so that's why this whole system isn't really working so well for chronic pain. Yeah, I love that answer. That was very well explained. I'd love that you can still find utility in things that maybe you don't yourself do. You know, pharmacologically, what people are are taking medications, like you don't have control over that, but they all can have their place integrated into the system. Absolutely. Cool. I want to talk about some common like problem areas in the body, but before we do, maybe we can just high level talk about your three pillars that you were mentioning off air of, of, of kind of like the causes or sources or, or ways that people can deal with chronic pain. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not so egotistical to think that I have the answers to everything. And, you know, there are practitioners who do things completely different than I do that help solve pain. Uh, and, uh, and if you go to any bookstore for in the health section, you'll see a myriad of issues, you know, diet, psychology, you know, musculoskeletal solutions. So really what it led me to believe is those things wouldn't exist if they didn't help people. And so, but how can all of these things help people? And really, it, the, I, I believe that it helped me form this theory that there are three pillars of issues. So we all have some threshold above which we experience pain. Some people, you know, think the threshold is up here, some are down here. It doesn't really matter. It's a threshold. Above it, you have pain. Below it, you don't. Some people are right next to that tipping point on that threshold. So the very smallest thing can push them into pain. And some people are way down here. My goal is to get people way down here so they have wiggle room before hitting that threshold. But I found that there are three issues that typically push us into these into this threshold of pain. One is musculoskeletal issues, which is what I specialize in. 
The other is dietary issues, which create inflammatory reactions in the body. And then the third is uh, emotional, psychological, or spiritual issues. That Because both the dietary and emotional, psychological, spiritual issues, as, as well as musculoskeletal issues, create chronic tension in the body. And chronic tension in the body typically occurs, you mentioned anatomy trains just a little while ago. I've just I've figured out that a lot of this chronic musculoskeletal tension that is a is global in nature is really occurring often along these uh, fascial superhighways that are traveling through our bodies from head to toe, and so that's my basic theory, and that's that's why people can you know eat a, you know follow an anti-inflammatory diet book and it solves their pain, or someone can read John Sarno's book about back pain, which is all just purely it's all in your head, and it solves their pain. So, and then, you know, for others, it doesn't. And this is why. Yeah, uh, that was really well explained. I think about the dietary side of things. And sure, we have our, you know, diet that we like. We do carnivore diet around here. But I think any diet that's eliminating all the processed crap from the middle of the store or from fast food chains, if I, 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 do, would you agree that those are the worst foods? And, and after that, whatever anybody chooses to do, as long as they're mostly in the realm of like whole food diets, they're going to they're gonna make major improvements and that kind of thing. I would say in general, that's, that's a correct statement. But however, I had a patient and this is what I find often is that she loved watermelon. That was her favorite food. And it turned out through testing that that was an inflammatory agent for her. Wow. And I was just like, holy smokes, her body was craving watermelon, yet it was the absolute wrong thing for her body. <laughs> so, you know, I've never heard of anyone having problems with watermelon. And yeah. I've got another guy who's He's allergic to every type of food possible. I don't care what you call it. You know, I'm surprised he's, you know, not allergic to air, you know? So <laughs> anyway, it, you know, I don't, that's not my wheelhouse is dietary issues, but I would generally agree. Yeah, of course, cut out processed stuff and that'll eliminate a lot of the chemicals, but sometimes it's more than just chemicals. It's some other biochemical reaction that's occurring in your body in response to that, those ingredients. Sure. Yeah. Okay. That was a great answer. Let's go to some of those areas in the body. We can talk about some truths that you've noticed. We can talk about some myths that people talk about, but let's mm -hmm. start at the bottom and go kind of towards the top. Common things that sure. you see with feet and ankles and kind of lower legs. Yeah. So, uh, plantar fasciitis. Let's, how about that? That's great. So that's a really common one. Uh, most people think, and oftentimes this is, this is this does work is that they need arch supports. Well, yeah, arch supports can solve that pain, but it's not causing it's not solving the reason the pain is occurring. So, uh, what's really going on with most plantar fasciitis and like Morton's neuroma, chronic heel spurs, things like that, is tight calf and soleus muscles. So, what's happening is, have you ever uh, have you ever like turned? quickly and like accidentally run into a wall <laughs> more often that? more often than i would like to admit probably okay every time i run into or a table or something like that so every time like you could take maybe even just half a step and if you run into something unexpectedly you i it always surprises me the amount of force that my body has generated in moving forward when i hit something it's like i just got tackled by a linebacker i'm just like holy smokes I did not see that. And boy, does that hurt, you know, to have run into whatever I just ran into. So really our bodies generate tremendous amounts of force and our muscles and joints, uh, accommodate these forces and disperse them. And if you're tight calf and if you have a tight calf and soleus muscle, part of that force is that your ankle needs to bend appropriately 
in order to, for your for to distribute the forces equally between the lower body joints and your foot joints. So if your calf and soleus muscles are too tight, your knee can't travel over that foot or ankle so well. And so that force though still exists and it has to go somewhere. So if your ankle isn't bending, the force is either driven down more into the tissues of your foot, or if your foot tissues, uh, say you were in orthotics and your foot won't collapse to, to absorb that, it's going to get pushed back up into the knee or the hip or the back. So the force has to go somewhere. So in the case of chronic calf and soleus tightness that prevents the ankle from moving easily, uh, that will then cause the foot to uh, flatten excessively, causing the plantar fasciitis irritation, heel spurs, Morton's aromas, things like that. Uh, and if your foot doesn't experience that, for instance, maybe your ligaments are nice and tight and nothing's really budging down there, it's going to say, well, uh, I guess it's going to go back up to the knee then or the, or the hip or the back. Yeah. So that's that's the most common. In fact, foot and ankle issues are the most easily treated, as far as I'm concerned, because that's often the the cause of most of the pain. Sure. So, what are some of those treatments? Like you mentioned, like tight calves and soleus. Like we definitely yeah. notice that with most people. I would say is things like sure. the classic things you see people doing, like foam rolling, or you know, just simple like what what people would think of as flexibility or stretching. Do those things work? Oh no. And, uh, thank you. <laughs> right answer. Thank you. And and I'll say to the listener, um, this is a great one to watch. If you are listening to this in podcast form, I would say this is a great one to check out on YouTube because we're going to get some really cool visuals here. And and if you're looking for more information, go. Uh, we'll link this episode in the video to go to YouTube and find this because this is going to be great. Yeah. So so here's just a you know if you're walking and you step and that knee needs to bend and pass over the foot. So if it can't. For instance, your calf and soleus are too tight, then, then the forces are, again, transmitted to the foot. So why would the calf and soleus be tight? Well, this perplexed me for a long time as a PT because I was trying the foam rollers, the stretching, and people would stretch it out, and gosh darn it, the next day it's tight again. I don't understand what's going on, right? Until I figured out it's because of how we're sleeping. So how you sleep is what's causing the calf and soleus tightness. So if you sleep on your back and you have covers on, on your feet, then your feet are pointing away from you. Well, that is shortening the calf and soleus complex for six to eight hours at a time. If you sleep on your side, you'll notice that typically you'll point your feet away from you again, just like if, as if you were on your back. And if you sleep on your stomach, then the bed is pushing the toes away from you, again, shortening the calf and soleus. So once I figured this out, and then I found that if someone just wears a dorsal night splint to bed, it started solving almost all plantar fasciitis pain because the calf and soleus would no longer be tightened when they get up in the morning, it would be loosened. And that classic plantar fasciitis pain is, you know, those first, you know, five or 10 steps are really painful because you're getting that tearing feeling on the bottom of your foot, same with heel spurs. And this will eliminate that because you're not getting out of bed with a super tight calf and soleus anymore. It's driving the forces in your foot. Now it's able to your, your ankle is able to bend and it disperses the forces away from your foot again. Gotcha. So that's, that's the secret to solving chronic plant, uh, plantar fasciitis. So basically it's like locking your foot into a flexed position. So if you're listening to this, you're bringing your toes in towards you. It kind of keeps you in that position. Yeah. So it's important to understand that really the goal of wearing the dorsal night splint, it, it, it keeps the foot into a neutral position. So you know, our, our, we always think bigger is better. So, oh, well, 
I can do it into a stretch. Well, no, if you do it into a stretch, you're going to wake up in a lot of pain. So, Too much. and if, and sometimes the foot is pointing away because of chronic, like you, you're chronically contracting the calf and soleus. These people will have an especially difficult time wearing a dorsal night split because they're going to get this burning sensation in their calves. And in the middle of the night, they'll find that they kick it off in the middle of the night because it's burning so much. They, they just have to take it off. So unfortunately we have to solve that chronic contraction issue that you have though. The dorsal nicement will solve it, but it'll just take a little bit longer. So for those people, what I recommend, most people get up in the middle of the night to go pee, put on the dorsal nicement the second half of the night instead of the first. That way you wake up with your calf and solace in a more lengthened position and it will start to chip away at that plantar fasciitis. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The, visually, this is so good to be able to see. It's a little spooky. It's a skeleton, but uh, it's so nice to see um, that visually. So, okay, maybe this is a good time. I wanted to ask you about the relationship between you know muscles getting stronger and tighter and muscles getting weaker and looser. We have to explain this to our clients all the time. Can you explain why it might not be the best idea for that person with already tight calves to go and hit the gym and just do a bunch of calf raises? Well, so this gets into the second part of what I was talking about is oftentimes the calf is chronically contracted. And so, uh, because this, this is where the mental aspect of things come in, right? Sometimes, and especially in type A personalities or people who are like higher level athletes, their bodies will be in a state of contraction in a greater to a greater degree than someone who is a non-athlete and not training for something all the time. And so if you take an already contracted area and then you go and do a bunch of calf raises to strengthen that area, then you're only adding contraction to the equation, which is part of the problem. So it's not going to solve it. And this brings up a really good point. Loose people tend to think that they need to stretch more to solve their pain. And strong people tend to think that they need to strengthen more to solve their pain. Uh, and often, often it, there's a balance that needs to be struck between the two. Yeah, perfect. That was a great explanation. Let's go up the chain just a little bit, unless there's anything else you want to cover on the feet. Let's talk about knees and how that can travel yeah. up and down. Yeah, so the important thing to understand about the knees, there's only one muscle in the knee that controls the knee joint. And it's called the popliteus muscle. And it's located on the back of the knee. And it crosses the knee joint uh, starting at the inside of the tibia or the lower leg bone and going to the outside of the thigh bone. And it's a little, like little tiny pinky muscle. So it controls a little bit of rotation and hyperextension of the knee. All the other muscles that are feet in the knee come down from the hip or up from the foot. And so the knee is caught between the two giants of the, of the hip and the foot. So most knee pain has something to do with what's going on at the hip and the foot issues. Now, if you're one of those people who tends to hyperextend your knee when you walk and stand, which is a lot of people, then that popliteus muscle will also be driven into spasm because it's constantly being bumped into by a locking knee. Well, it doesn't like that. So it's going to contract to protect itself. Well, when the popliteus contracts to protect itself, it locks the knee into a rotated position. Well, if you think about, if you twist a rag to squeeze out water, the more you twist that rag, the closer your fists will come together. And that's the same thing that happens with the knee joint with the, when the popliteus becomes in spasm. By virtue of its rotation, it's squeezing the knee joint together 
and compressing tissues in there. And so uh, releasing that does a, goes a long way to solving knee pain. However, uh, uh, you know, this is my systems approach. We have to stop the reasons it's getting irritated in the first place, which is the habit of locking the knees when you're standing and walking. Gotcha. Okay. So maybe this is a good time to ask about this. What about footwear? What have you noticed with the kinds of footwear that people are using? And do you notice an improvement when people move to more of a minimalist style or try things like barefoot walking? Uh, certainly that can help. And, uh, what, and, and you know, that, that can be a big one because one of the reasons, like I mentioned just a, a second ago, one of the common problems that's occurring in the whole for all back, hip, knee, and foot issues is that people are locking their knees when they stand and walk. Why are they locking their knees? Footwear has a lot to do with that because as we've developed thicker and thicker heels on our shoes, it lets us get away with this really strong heel strike pattern that we're not really designed to, to, to use from a biomechanical standpoint. And if you're, if you're not sure if this is true, just wear your shoes around the house or outside actually on a piece of concrete. All right. So now your shoes are providing this beautiful buffer and then go out and walk on that same concrete in your bare feet. And you'll notice that your gait pattern will instantly change when you walk without all of that padding and you can't do that really strong heel strike pattern anymore. Well, you're actually starting to solve a lot of biomechanical problems by stopping that. Yeah. Interesting. No, I noticed the same thing when I switched over from having a thick heel to either doing minimal footwear or barefoot walking, you can't over, you can't overextend when you're cross, you can't heel strike. It's not really that possible. I can walk way faster if I pitch myself forward with those shoes. And, and again, I wouldn't, I would think that that would only exacerbate the problem in the calves and in the soleus because you're kind of shortening back there anyway. And I can, I can really overstride, but after time, it really hurts. If I go to barefoot, it, it you, you can't do it. You have to soften your entire body. I think we learned this from Dr. Yes. Irene Davis, also a foot expert, that said it is a really good idea to go walk around barefoot on hard surfaces, like you mentioned. Uh, that was a little counterintuitive to me in the beginning, but it makes sense. You're going to soften your body if you're trying to walk barefoot on a hard surface. You might not necessarily do that if you're on grass or in the sand. Yeah, you may not enjoy it, but it's <laughs> going to force you to walk correctly. That's right. And it's going to start correcting because gait. I'll tell you, gait is a central theme to almost all chronic back, pelvic, hip, knee, and foot issues. And locking the knees is a central theme of gait that makes it the problem. And then it comes, and this is how a systems approach works, is that, you know, you drill down into smaller and so smaller portions of that system, always keeping the whole system in mind while you're addressing those. I love and that. so footwear is one of the reasons why people are locking their knees in the first place. Yeah, I love that. I think that whole systems approach is excellent and so ironic. And it's such a bummer that people are experiencing pain when they're walking, because I would argue that walking is probably the best thing that we all could be doing. And I, I don't know, like if there's like really an upper limit, it seems like the more that we can do it, as long as we're not in pain, it seems to be more and more beneficial. As long as you're not taking it to the extreme, obviously, I think it's one of the best activities that we could do. You agree? Well, it's one of the best activities that we can do if we're walking correctly. Thank you. If you're not walking correctly, it's one of the worst activities yeah, you can thank do. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That's very well said. Um, anything else we need to talk about as far as the knee goes? Well, there's one other idea uh, about uh, femoral antiversion and retroversion. This is a big deal for hip and knee issues. So not all thigh bones are shaped the same. 
men typically have what's called a retroverted femur, which means that the shaft of the thigh bone here is actually rotated outward. All right. And then uh, females typically have an antiverted femur, which means the shaft of the thigh bone is rotated inward. So you'll see this uh, like a lot of like a lot of guys catch a lot of flack when we sit down and our knees are spread apart, that man spread that we have. Well, a big reason we're doing that is because our thigh bones are rotated outward. All right. And it, the, that force of the rotation is driving everything to the outside. And this is why it's easier for females to sit with their knees together is because their thigh bones are already rotated in. So it's easier for them to sit with their knees together. I was treating an NFL lineman one time and, and he had uh, a retroverted femur in one of his uh, thigh bones. And I, and I explained this idea to him and, I, and that whole explanation of sitting. He said, oh, yeah, if I had to sit with my knees together, I'd be sweating. <laughs> that's, that's the way it is, you know. Wow. That's it. So this, this rotation, so where this comes into play for knee pain and also hip pain and foot pain for this matter is that when you have a retroverted thigh bone where it's twisted outward, if you're standing with your feet pointed straight ahead, which is a socially conditioned way to stand, then that force of that thigh bone is continually trying to rotate everything out. But you're overriding that with your socialized idea to turn it straight, which is relative internal rotation for that knee and hip. Well, the, in the body, internal rotation, the hip and knee don't like internal rotation at all and the shoulder. So that is one of the things that causes crunch and and your your efforts to override that by pointing your feet forward are causing excessive tension throughout the whole lower body system, which then adds to general stiffness here, which means if this is too stiff, well, what's the next place to move? Our back. And this is why the backs end up taking the brunt of this type of systems problem. Uh, and once I get people to just start walking with their toes turned out a little bit, suddenly everything melts away, joints unlock, muscles reduce their tension, all sorts of things. So this is a big deal for men and women with chronic issues um, in terms of understanding the shape of their thigh bone. Wow. That is so well explained. I love that. I'm just, I'm thinking about all of this and just cringing hardcore, like you reflecting on some of the training that you got. The personal training certification book that I have behind me has the one way to squat. It's amazing. Everybody yes. do this one way. The number of times in my career early on when I was correcting everybody on how to do the one squat, it's just, it's, it's so comp, so much more complicated than that. Yeah. So, uh, to go back to that NFL lineman, this guy never, so we solved, he was going, he was doing, uh, his two a days and, uh, he had uh, chronic knee and ankle and hip pain. And, uh, we solved it in three days while he was going through practices wow. just by implementing this knowledge. So I, I interviewed him on my podcast and I, and, on my, on my podcast, he said, you know, I was thinking I actually had that pain for the last nine years. It, it's, and, and, you know, I, I've never understood why I had it. And then it got solved in like three days. I couldn't believe it. And he what, to, to your point, he never had pain in high school because he didn't have trainers teaching them how to squat wow. in high school. Wow, wow. He squatted the way he thought he should be squatting. That was best for him. Only when, and he was at a division one school, 
So top of the line professionals everywhere, right? They had all linemen and all people squat the same way, no matter with no testing at all for biomechanics or anything. And that's when his pain started. Wow. When he was forced to squat the way that they that they were teaching him to squat, and not only his Division One high school or college, but also the NFL, yeah, teaching him the exact same thing. Wow, no idea about femoral retroversion or antiversion and or what to do about it. Wow, that I love that story. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all. But that's a great story. Wow. Um, yeah. Again, this is a very general question, but most people. What, what exercises slash, um, I guess like, like mobility exercises, do you prefer people to kind of lean towards again, very highly individual, but what, what types of activities do you like to see people doing for the lower extremities? It could be strength training exercises, could be mobility drills or flexibility. Like what, what things do you generally like to see people see in the lower body? Yeah. Uh, so, um, is number one, <laughs> learn how to walk correctly. So, uh, I, I, it's too broad of a question because now that you understand about for more retroversion and antiversion, and you understand about calf tightness and, you know, whether someone's locking their knees, uh, and there's also a, a question of their injury history, their genetics, their injury history, their training habits, the sports that they're training for their, their work habits, all of that comes into play in designing the correct uh, exercise routine for the, so I kind of, everyone is a new slate for me. I try not to have, cause it really, it's based on my examination, whatever I find on my examination, that's what we're going to work on. I don't care what sport you're doing or, or how you're using your body. These things need to be solved Fantastic. if you're having pain. Yeah. And so, uh, I, I wish I had more of a general idea I, to give you, but like I said, loose people think they need to stretch strong. People think they need to strengthen. Usually it's, a uh, uh, something in between. Yeah, I got it. That was a great answer to a crappy question. So I really appreciate <laughs> that. Let's keep going up the chain hips and, and in particular back pain, this is so common and seems very confusing for a lot of people. I can't remember what the stats were. I did some weekend certification where we covered lower back pain and it was 50 or 70% of people in their lives will have back pain. At some point it will be mostly transitory. It's not always something they live with. I, it's a huge issue. I know for a lot of people. So let's talk about hips and back and, and things that you see there. Yeah. So, uh, hips and back, you know, the, the idea often, if you talk to an orthopedic surgeon or a back specialist, they'll believe that the back is referring to hip pain, but it's usually the opposite. So let's start with hips first. One of the most common issues that's happening with hips is something called anterior femoral glide syndrome. And what that means is that here's the thigh bone and the hip socket. I'll put that up closer to the mirror. So what's happening to the camera so what's happening is, and this, this is the front of the body, this is the back of the body. And so what's happening is that the thigh bone is migrating forward in the hip socket as the hip is flexing, all right? Now, it's not supposed to do that. It's supposed to stay in one place and pivot around a central uh, point, okay? So anterior means forward, femoral glide means it's sliding forward, syndrome is means Anything syndrome means that there's a cacophony of things going on that's contributing to this whole thing, right? So why why is this occurring? Well, the primary muscle that's controlling the, the tracking of this bone in the hip socket is the gluteus maximus. The gluteus maximus starts at the sacrum back here and inserts into the, into the top of the thigh bone. 
when it contracts, it creates a pivot point for the hip to pivot around. All right. So the reason this is happening is because the gluteus maximus isn't working correctly. Well, to drill down deeper, why isn't the gluteus maximus not working correctly? What goes back to gait again? Because its primary function is to work when we're walking. That's what the activity that we've traditionally done most of the day, evolutionarily, is walking, right? And so uh, when we're not walking correctly, for instance, locking the knees, that strong heel strike pattern that, I, that we talked about already, that turns off the gluteus maximus, which then causes the thigh bone to start migrating forward. Well, that starts to pinch tissues in the front, and this can manifest as groin pain. We have a bursa sac here. If, if that's sliding forward where it's not supposed to, then it will cause hip bursitis. We have deeper muscles than the gluteus maximus, called like the piriformis or obturators or you know gemellus and all that kind of stuff. Those because the big guy isn't doing its job, those smaller muscles have to grab onto this even harder, and they become irritated. Piriformis syndrome. Well, thirty percent of the population, the sciatic nerve is piercing the piriformis. Another percentage, it's running underneath, and some people the the sciatic nerve is is bifurcated and running over. The piriformis muscle. So now you've got a, a tight piriformis muscles, and that can contribute to sciatic pain too. So that is the most common problem occurring with hip issues. And then if you factor in the anti, for more antiversion and retroversion that we just talked about, if you're uh, artificially pointing your foot forward when you have retroversion, or your butt muscles aren't controlling their internal rotation of your thigh bone with antiversion, then you're in a lot of problems, but they're all solvable. And so when we have hip dysfunction, well, that changes how the whole, the butt, the butt not only helps the hip bone track in its socket, but it helps orient the, the pelvis in the correct position. So when the butt isn't working, now you've got pelvic orientation that's off. Well, this is played out in the back because the pelvic pelvis has these big old bones here. There's only three of them, right? But we have these really relatively small bones in the spine. And so they end up moving more because they can. And that's why we have a lot of wear and tear in our back. Gotcha. What are some of your favorite ways to correct that? Uh, I, you know, first of all, I teach people how to walk correctly. Uh, so what we just talked about, okay. you know, barefoot walking is, is part of sometimes that solution. Um, but often I do it with a lot of people, especially older people, they don't want to start walking around barefoot. It hurts their feet because their fat pads have degenerated and they're thinner and it's just sensitive. So, you know, uh, often I don't use barefoot walking as the technique to help do that, but, uh, there are other techniques that we can go over if you want to. So that's the first thing. But then I also have a, a really specific butt pump exercise that I have people get on their elbows and knees on the floor. You simply lift up your foot and you do a butt pump, right? Well, I like this one because it isolates the glutes. And if we, if we're doing squats and things like that, it's, there's too much else that can go on that'll stop the, that'll take over for the glutes. And even if you get the glute to fire way down here deep in a squat, it doesn't translate into it working up here. That's why we've always got to, whatever gluteal strengthening exercise I do, it has to be followed by teaching them how to use it when they're walking, because that's its whole purpose. If we don't, then it'll just keep turning off and they'll have to strengthen for the rest of their lives. Yeah. We have better things to do, yeah. right? I than that. that. 
I love that. Very well explained. Okay, going up through the spine, talk about some of the issues. You you mentioned some already, but talk about some of the common issues in the back and, and what we can do to deal with them. And I've heard you explain this, which I absolutely love. Can you explain the difference between holding your spine in the exact same position versus articulating the spine? This can get really controversial for some people, and I really like the way you think about this. Yeah. So let me, uh, can I take you through the back pain test please? And that way your listeners and viewers can. Okay. So there's a really simple test. So basically there's three common patterns that cause almost all back pain. This was determined by Dr. Shirley Sarman, who's a physical therapist, PT, PhD out of university, Washington university in St. Louis. This coincides with Thomas Myers, uh, anatomy trains, uh, super highways of fascia that are running through the body. And then also Thomas Hanna's neurological approach to solving uh, pain, uh, he identified the same three patterns that these other two researchers have found too. Three different researchers in three different areas of medicine finding the same three patterns that are causing almost all back pain. So we think this might be okay? This is is decent? It's a clue that we might be on the right track. So so anyway, what what they really didn't talk about though was why those three patterns occur. And so that's what I've been researching for this past 20, 25 years. So we're going to go over the first pattern. And this is the most common one for almost everyone listening. So if you just lie down on the floor with your legs straight, and on the floor is better than something soft because a firmer surface gives you more feedback. So lie down on your back with your legs straight. And if you just can't get down on the floor, that's okay. Do it on the couch, do it on your bed, but just lie down with your legs straight. And it's important that if you have back pain, Rather than just listening to what we're talking about, it's important that you do the test because once you feel it in your body, then you'll know the truth of your back pain rather than just thinking, oh, that was kind of interesting. I want you to walk away from this knowing something about you, okay? So we're lying on your back with your legs straight like this. You can put your hand underneath your low back if you want and feel how much it's arching off the floor and feel how your back feels in this position. Now, we've been there for about 30 seconds now. So what I want you to do is now bend your knees so your feet are flat on the floor. And if you don't feel a change in your back discomfort, then hug your knees to your chest and with your arms and hold them there and feel if your back feels better like that. So one of these two positions, either legs straight or knees bent, will feel better for your back. 99% of the people listening will say their back feels better when their knees are bent. All right. And they'll notice, especially if they put their hand underneath their low back while they've been doing this, they'll notice, oh, yeah, my back's flatter. That's why it's feeling better. And when my legs are are straight, my back is more arched. Okay, so we've got one piece of your back pain puzzle. Let's look at the second piece. So now I'm going to ask everyone to stand up and uh, listen to the rest of this podcast. And just stand there normally. And what I'd like you to notice is probably within a minute or two, you're going to notice that your knees will start to lock backwards if they're not locked backwards already. So, or you're going to shift to one leg and lock that. Knee. All right. So what is that doing? Well, uh, let's go ahead. So, and if you're not sure if you're locking your knees, go ahead and lock them straight backwards already. Feel what just happened to your back. And if you're not sure now unlock your knees. All right. Feel what just happened to your back. If you're still not sure, lock them one more time. And you'll feel that when your knees are locked, your back arches more. Okay. And we've also just found that if you're standing for more than a minute or two, your knees tend to lock. It's an energy conservation move. 
your body now can stand on its joints rather than using its muscles to hold you up, right? Okay, so what have we learned here? One is that your back feels worse when it's more arched, like when your legs are straight lying on the ground. And then two, we've learned that when you stand for anything more than a minute or two, you tend to lock your knees. Locking the knees tends to cause the back to arch more. So this is how your habits are causing and contributing to your chronic back pain of simply your back arching too much. It's called an extension problem. So this is one of the big things about back pain is this is what my whole approach has been figuring out these past 20 years is all the habits that are causing these patterns, the, my, the anatomy trains patterns, you know, Dr. Saruman's and Dr. Hannes, all of these things that we're doing during the day that are causing these patterns to occur in us and standing and walking. And we've talked about already the, the, the problem with locking your knees when you're walking. All right. That is also contributing to locking or arching the back. So if we can simply, and I've solved so much back pain just by having people do this, just start unlocking your knees for the next three days. Make yourself do it. Put a little, put your watch on your other wrist to remind you so that you remember to do this and, or put a rubber band on your wrist or something like that. And so the next few days, well, unlock your knees if you have back pain. I can almost guarantee that probably 30 to 50% of your back pain, if not 100%, will be solved by just unlocking your knees. Wow. So that's one of the patterns causing back pain for central back pain. There's another pattern called a side bending problem, which causes unilateral back pain and most sciatica, most sciatic pain and SI joint pain. And I can go over that if you want. Yeah, sure. This is so helpful. I love this information. Yeah. So uh, unilateral back pain or sciatica down one leg or SI joint pain on one side of your pelvis is usually because there's a pattern occurring where one side of the pelvis is higher and the, usually the same side rib cage is lower. I call this a side bending problem because it looks like you're side bending. So naturally, if you can see this, if you're watching this on the video, you'll see that it causes and creates compression on that side of the spine, right? Well, that's where the nerve roots are that exit to form your sciatic nerve, all right? And so they're compressed when you have this problem. So this problem is very easy to correct. But the, the really, the thing that you need to understand is, why is this problem happening? The problem is happening because of some older issue with the same side leg. So if you have right sciatica, chances are you have a right side bending problem, and you've got an old injury in the right side of your lower body that has not been resolved correctly. And so what your brain is doing, it's tapping into something deep in us called a withdrawal reflex pattern that we're all born with. And you'll see, if you, if you watch videos on YouTube of this, you can see babies that when they put their foot down, everything retracts because of it. Well, it's not just the hip and knee that's bending to retract, it's the whole pelvis that's retracting. And so the muscles that pull the pelvis up also attach the rib cage and therefore pull the rib cage down. So your brain is saying, hey, something's wrong on this leg. I'm, I'm going to tap into that withdrawal reflex and just get off of that a little bit. Because you're making me go from A to B and do all of these exercises and things. And I have to be able to do them because that's what you want me to do. And so this is the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to hike this hip up, and which is going to pull the ribcage down to get off this leg so it doesn't hurt me so much. And so I can do what you're telling me to do. So this happens over time. And so we develop this permanently. 
An easy way to see this in yourself is just take off your shirt, have someone take a picture of you. And you'll, and if you have unilateral pain, you'll probably see that there's a crease on one side of your spine that it's not on the other side in your waist area. All right. That means that you have a side bending problem. So ultimately to solve this from a long-term standpoint, you have to solve the reason this pattern is occurring, which is some old injury in the same side. 80 to 90% of the time, it's the same side. 10 to 20% of the time, it's a compensation for a problem on the other side. Mm, wow, so interesting. Thank you for explaining all of that. We used to check for that when I was doing bike fitting and to see whether people had leg length discrepancies. We'd talk about injuries and we'd see, is this a functional leg length discrepancy or your, is your femur actually a little bit shorter and fitting the bicycle around that? Anyway, um, that was awesome. That was really well explained. I love that. Let's kind of talk a little bit about the, the last part that we'll address today, which is like shoulders and kind of neck issues. What, what common things do you see there? Okay. Uh, before I go into that, you, be, when we were off air, you said, Hey, let's talk about some common myths with pain. All right. Leg length discrepancies are one of those common myths. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, and probably the 25 years I've been doing this, I probably can count on one hand, the number of true leg length discrepancies I've ever Agreed. seen. I hardly ever saw any, and I didn't see nearly as many people as you, but uh, yeah. And so really what it is, it's a functional thing. And so what's happening with you folks that have been told that you have a leg length discrepancy is someone has looked at you and said, oh, you've got one pelvis that's higher than the other. Therefore, you have a leg length discrepancy. Absolutely not. Because just by my previous explanation, your brain is tapping into something to get you off of a problem on that side. And so it makes it look like you must have a, a leg length discrepancy, but you do not. And so uh, I would say 99.9% .9 chance that you do not. Let's put it that way. I even had a woman who brought in full like pelvis down to foot x-rays of her child to prove that her child had a leg length discrepancy. She absolutely did not. And we corrected it in five minutes wow. and everything is perfectly level. Wow. All right. Super easy. And so what people are then given are helix to solve this. Oh, well, we got to balance out that pelvis. Well, no, that's not going to solve anything because the imbalance, the, the source of the imbalance is not a leg length discrepancy. It's a functional problem with that leg. So I just needed to go because that's one Thank of my you. pet peeves. <laughs> a lot of people have been misled and uh, there's no, there's no real agreement on how to even measure a leg length. Yeah. And so in, in my new methods. book that's coming up, I talk about this. Awesome. It's one of my things to dispel one of these myths that are common and in sports and fitness and medicine. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you for explaining that. That's great. Sure. Okay. So let's go back up to your, you, you, you talked about shoulders, neck, and headaches. All right. The surprising uh, cause of most chronic neck pain and headaches is actually the shoulder blade. All right. Why is that? Well, if we look at the architecture of our body, we'll see that most of our body has these long bones, right? Long thigh bones, long lower leg bones, ribs, arm bones, and so forth. But you'll notice that in our pelvis, we have this broad, flat bone. And we all know that the pelvis is the source of, it's the center of function for our, our lower body system and back. The only other area in your body that has that is your shoulder blade. It also is the center of function for your upper body system. There are significant muscles that are attaching from the shoulder blade into the neck bones and the base of the skull. So when the shoulder blade is not functioning correctly, Stress is transmitted via these muscles into the cervical bones and the base of the skull. If you remember when we talked about back and hip pain, most doctors think that the back causes hip pain when it's the other way around. And so it's the same with the shoulder. 
If you have symptoms down your arm, most doctors think it's coming from the neck. Well, yes, it is coming from the neck, but it's only coming from the neck because the shoulder blade is putting excessive pressure on the neck, causing that dysfunction to occur. This is the source of 99% of all neck pain and headaches. Oh, yeah, that I love that. What are some ways that we can, gen, again, a general question, but how do we address some of those issues? Yeah, so I'll show you a really easy test I developed to see if this is the cause of your neck pain and headaches, all right? So it's super easy. I call it the armpit test because we have in medicine all these convoluted, difficult names to remember. This one tells you exactly what it is. So if you have neck pain or headaches, you're going to need someone to help you, all right? And what you do is you stand there and then you're going to move your head, turn it left, turn it right, look up, look down, and feel the restriction of your neck range of motion and pain. Then someone's going to stand behind you. They're going to put their hands in your armpits like this, stand behind you, and they're going to lift up those armpits, those shoulders, about a half inch to an inch. And then they're going to jiggle them around a little bit. And what that does is it helps you. You've got to relax those shoulders and let them hold those shoulders up for you. So after about 30 seconds or maybe 60 seconds, if you can let that go, then you're with them still holding it up, you're going to rotate your head again, look up, look down and all that kind of stuff. And you'll notice instantaneously that not only does your neck and head feel better, but you have greater range of motion and less pain with all of those movements. That's proving that if you solve the shoulder blade, then that will solve your chronic neck pain and headaches. Now, there are some people who have been in such pain or type A personalities where they are just tense all the time and they just can't let this go. So the next part of that test then is once you pull your hands back out of the, there and let the shoulders rest back to where they are, those people will then feel the weight of that shoulder girdle system on their neck again. And then they're going to say, oh God, that really hurts. Well, it hurts because you've momentarily taken it off. They haven't been able to sense it. But now that you put the weight back on, now they sense it. Wow. And the upper body, I mean, this whole system weighs like 20 pounds. So if you've got 20 pounds of weight on there, then, and you've got large muscles that are trying to pull it down too. So if you've got all this working to conspire to increase forces in the neck and head, that's a lot of uh, damage that's going on there. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you for all of that. That was very helpful. Before the pandemic, I would have said that doing things virtually or providing courses and videos for people would not be as effective as working in person with people. Pandemic shook all of that up. And I found that it, it is actually really a lot more effective than I would have thought to do virtual sessions, work with people that way, and also provide, you know, courses and videos and people like them. And I like to do different courses to learn about things. So tell us about some of your content that you offer and how you work with people today. Yeah. So uh, I wrote my books about 10 or 15 years ago, and you can still get those on Amazon. And over since then, I've owned my own clinic and I've trained my other therapists to, to work with people in this approach. And I've seen what my books were missing. And so uh, I've created downloadable home programs that are video based that uh, basically show take you through the things to solve all of these big systems problems that are feeding your pain. And so if you go to rickolderman.com, um, you know, you can order any one of those. I've also got a free ebook there. Um, I've got, if you're a practitioner, and I, I frankly, I, I believe this information, anyone who's coaching on up to surgeons should know this information because I'm not, I'm not like the last person these people with pain come to. They're going to come to their coach, their personal trainer, their flies instructor, their yoga instructor first before they come to anyone like me or their doctor 
to solve their pain. And because all of these problems originate with how people are using their bodies, then it only makes sense that all coaches on up to surgeons should understand this information. So I've created an online training program to help people uh, learn this systems approach to solving pain. It's quite effective. You get results rapidly. And if you end up buying my home programs or my practitioner training course, um, uh, if you type in fixing you, all one word, F-I-X-I-N-G-Y-O-U, you'll get a 20% discount. Oh, great. That. Awesome. We will tag yeah. that in the show notes. That's great. Um, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it, it is a very cool statement when you think about it to say that you are the last pe- you're the last person that people go to for pain. If you think of that, that's pretty cool. That says a lot about you. They're not going to other people after they see you, which is awesome. Tell us about right. the book. Um, who did you write this book for solving the pain puzzle? Yeah. So my books that I wrote, the fixing you books, uh, uh, 10 or 15 years ago, I had these little client connection stories in there to illustrate some of the biomechanical concepts I go over in the books. And over the years, everyone's been saying like, Oh, I really like that story about Debbie, you know, with the, you know, I, that was just like me, you know, what, whatever happened to her. So I, I decided this, this next book is kind of flipping that on its head. The, this next book is about my cases that I've had over the last 25 years that illustrate these concepts. And it's more about the people and how we solve their problems rather than the biomechanics of all of their problems that went into it, which is what my first books were about. And so I, I find that people, it's an easier way for people to absorb this time, kind of information if they can see it in a real person, you know, exactly how we use this information to solve their pain. And, uh, and then what I'm also going to do is uh, I've created videos for people to go to if they bought the book, they can uh, uh, on my website, they can get more information. I go deeper into the biomechanics of what's going on and explain it in more detail for people who want more information on that. But that's what the books are, my case studies over the last 25 years. What a fantastic and helpful resource. You're right. Like as humans, we need the stories. We need to feel like we're understood or somebody else has gone through the issues that we're going through. So I absolutely love that approach. I think that would be hugely successful. Rick, this has been an amazing episode. I've really learned a lot. I know our listeners are going to learn a lot as well. I'd highly encourage them to go over to your website to check out all the resources there, regardless of whether they buy something or not. You offer a ton a ton, a ton of free stuff over there that's really helpful. And I, I really enjoy your work and I've really enjoyed this conversation. Where would you like people to go to find you and connect with you and your work? Uh, just go to rickolderman.com and uh, you can contact me from there. You can see my blog, the, the free stuff I have on there, my own programs, anything new that I have a link to my podcast too. Uh, I think I have a link to my YouTube channel. So, you know, there's all sorts of stuff that you can absorb there and, and hopefully... I, I, my whole goal, you know, behind giving away so much free stuff and, and all of this stuff is just, you know, I want to turn people's ideas around about how they're thinking about their pain, that it is solvable. They're not broken, you know, and I want to give people hope that, oh, here's a completely different way of approaching this stuff that my practitioners never talked about my gait training in terms of my sciatic pain or my back pain. No one's ever talked to me about shoulders in terms of my neck pain or my headaches. You know, gosh, maybe there's some hope for me. And that's what I want to give people. I want to 
give them the hope and show them that there is a way to solve this stuff. That's amazing. That's so powerful to provide that hope. Your ebook on the website that's free is fantastic. Your podcast is very, very good. I love the episode that you did about how to prepare for surgery. I thought that was very helpful and really relevant for a lot of people. So I really appreciate all of that. I really appreciate that you're out there trying to provide hope for people by learning how to move more and get out of pain. So Rick Holderman, thank you so very much for all of your work and everything you've learned in the last 25 years. And thank you for coming on our show today. We really appreciate you. Absolutely. My pleasure. I had so much fun talking with you. It was a blast for sure. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. At the close of one year and the beginning of a new year, I just wanted to make sure to thank you, the listener, for all of your support and for listening to our show. 2022 was an amazing year that saw lots of growth with the podcast, but also came with amazing results with the people that we get to work with in our business, Boundless Body. We began our business during the confusion of the 2020 pandemic and opened up in July of that year. And we've been absolutely amazed with how things have gone. It was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears and a lot of building the plane as we were flying it, but it's turned out amazing. We just absolutely love seeing our clients clients get amazing results. We love seeing all the great feedback and positive reviews that come through on Apple. So if you haven't already, please leave us a review there on Apple as it's the best way for the show to continue to grow and impact the lives of people all over the world. We're super excited for 2023. We already have lots of great guests and topics lined up, and we have no intention of slowing down our releases anytime soon. <laughs> also, feel free to check out our premium content, which we post on Patreon. There you will find our extended and unedited episodes, which we post on the day of recording. So you actually don't have to wait for the edited version of the podcast to release, which can sometimes be several weeks, actually. And on Patreon, you will also find the Boundless Body Radio premium podcast. This was my special project this year. I really wanted to combine all of the very best clips about one topic from our show to combine into extended episodes that take a very deep dive into a topic. I've created two separate topics as a masterclass that are three episodes each. One is all about the macronutrients and the second is all about keto and ketogenic diets. That way you can get a fantastic education from some of our amazing guests in a format that can help you zero in on the topic that you are most interested in. Something I'm very proud of and believe that we are sharing this content for a very high value. Remember that you can also book a complimentary 30-minute session with us on our website at myboundlessbody.com. And thank you again so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio.